I'm just kind of open today. I, I had a few questions, uh, but I'll give you a brief intro and we can kind of uh, go from there. If you don't mind. Okay, very good. All right. So I'm, I'm blessed today to have uh, William Ramsey. William Ramsey is an attorney, author, and researcher. He's a graduate of the University of California, Berkeley, with a degree in history. Mr. Ramsey also has a JD, Juris Doctorate, and is a member of the State Bar of California. He has written Prophet of Evil, Aleister Crowley, 9-11 in the New World Order, Abomination, Devil Worship, and Deception in the West Memphis Three Murders, Children of the Beast, Aleister Crowley's Shadow Over Humanity, and Global Death Cult, The Order of Nine Angels, Adam Wathen, and the Slaughter of the Innocents. William Ramsey has also made five documentaries, Occult Hollywood, Volume 1, Prophet of Evil, Aleister Crowley, 9-11 in the New World Order, The Smiley Face Killers, Who Is Abducting and Murdering Young Men in the United States and the UK, and The Slaughter Continues, as well as Children of the Beast. Aleister Crowley's Shadow Over Humanity. William Ramsey worked as a producer for the Ed Offerman Report for three years. Uh, William Ramsey is a Christian, and he considers his books, films, and broadcasts together as a Christian ministry with the intent to expose evil in conformance with what Paul wrote in Ephesians 5.11, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. The works are to inform and edify as well as expose the darkness in the present time. And he is living in Los Angeles. So welcome to Gnosis, Mr. Ramsey. I, I've recently become aware of your work, but it seems like you've actually inspired work that I was uh, looking into with uh, the world's most dangerous book, 9-11 is Mass Ritual. I didn't realize it, but a lot of that work was based on your original research and your work. Correct. Prophet of Evil, Oscar Curley, 9-11 in the New World Order. They use some of the same pictures that I put in there, same stuff. So it's... Uh... <laughs> interesting for them to take credit for a lot of my research is pretty uh, rich oh, i didn't realize that that was the case they should give credit where it's due and uh when did their book come out something like uh, 2012 mine was published 2010 self-published they kind of came out trying day i don't know the totality but it was written with peter lavenda who's writing books with uh tom DeLong of the to the stars academy and uh has written many in a cult book. Uh, he's written a lot of books. People tell me that that book is very similar to Lavenda's writing too. So I have to go back and check that out. I have to go back and look at Lavenda's. So I don't even know how much of that book was actually written by S.K. Bain. Uh, it's okay. I'm, uh, we, I'm, I'm all about the truth here. And, you know, we have to be able to bring these things up. These things happen. People get ripped off all the time in creative arts. And uh, interestingly enough, that book, uh, Peter Lavenda, speaking of him, He's an apologist for Crowley. He's one of those people who denies that Crowley admits he was a pederast and that he was, you know, sacrificing children. And he was called to account by Jason Horsley, uh, who has an email chain with him that he publishes in his book, The Vice of Kings. So it is interesting to see how many people are there who should know better, and they're they're making deliberate lies of omission. And so for them to rip off your material kind of seems in line with their character. Have you seen, have you seen, uh, have you seen Lavenda in the OTO ritual in the documentary, The Secret of Secret Societies? No. So they're talking about Crowley here. They're doing a Crowley ritual. There's Alex Jones. Well, actually, what you get is the end of civilization. Daniel Panetta is a member of so, the OTO who will take part in the ritual. So Daniel Panetta is a member of the OTO. It's really an instruction to find who you really are, find out your true purpose, and then to do that purpose. And that's Peter Lavenda right there as the OTL member. Did you see him? Wow, yes. So that's Panetta right behind him. So he's uncredited in the Secret of Secret Societies. But I would say that's a giveaway that he's an OTO member, which puts him in the place of uh, very interesting uh, influence on his books and his outlook and things like that. So I think he's, he goes back. He's admitted that he goes back to working at the Magical Child, which is an occult bookstore in... Um, New York, so the same guy who who he was associated with, the same guy who invented the X-Men, which makes perfect sense because Crowley used his seal of Babylon, that X inside the circle. And so he's he's alleged to be the writer, Simon, of the Necronomicon, the fake Necronomicon that came out of H.P. Uh, Lovecraft. Oh, so that's uh, who is this? The, the creator of X-Men is I have to go back and get that article, but there's an article that he wrote where he was friends with, or I think he dated the wife of the guy who wrote the X-Men. They both kind of were in the same 
intellectual circles, uh, you know, back in those days, 70s and 80s. I think Lavenda's in his late 60s right now, but he's still around. I mean, he's working for the To the Stars Academy, co-wrote stuff with Tom DeLonge. And you can go to the Amazon page and look up. I'll probably just pull this up, too. You can go up to the most dangerous book ever written. And uh, there's his name on there. Bain has kind of a sketchy background, too. Interesting. See, it says Peter Lavender right there. Let me see. I can't see your screen. Let me, I'll pull it up. Okay. Well, that's unfortunate because uh, I did enjoy that book, but you got to give credit where it's due, folks. And uh, that's not cool at all. Yeah. yeah, they took my, I mean, I think in my opinion, they took money. They took credit from me and they took money out of the mouths of my wife and kids. Yeah. So to me, it's very dark. Yes. Like I, Oh man, I'm sorry to hear that. Well, yeah, you know, yeah. that's that's what I like about this this show is you know we just follow the truth where it goes, and you, there's a lot of these lifetime actors that we find in our midst that you know they appear to be working to uncover things, and in reality they're obscuring and, and covering things up. Their finish of that book was uh, was ridiculous. They had some thing where there was going to be a nuclear bomb blown up in Tampa, on like uh, Arizona or something based upon that. My book finished is that. You got to watch out because these guys are going to use vaccines to forward their agenda. Wow. So the people who got their version of the book, in my opinion, got the satanic clown show version of my Christian book that gave a warning about what the agenda was. So the people who probably read my book might have gone, you know, maybe I won't take that jab. And then the people who read theirs didn't get that warning. So there's a lot of problems. I'll put it together. People will probably be shocked at how brazen it was. Yes, that sounds because, you know, and I, I'll read your book as well, and I'm sure I'll see the parallels. And uh, wow, SK Bain, I uh, I messaged him recently because I wanted to invite him on the show. And if, if he joins the show, I'll ask him. So what's the situation? Yeah, ask him flat out. Where did he get his information? How much did he take? Ask him how much did he do? Is it does he think he took from me? Because I can tell you right at the intro of the book, you might actually be able to look inside here. Mm-hmm. Watch this. This is the contents. Acknowledgement. I would be remiss not to acknowledge the contributions of two researchers in particular, William Ramsey, author of Prophet of Evil, Alistair Crowley, 9-11, and the New World Order, whose work provided valuable insights. I would say it provided a lot more than that, because my thesis is the same as yours. <laughs> I mean, this is so bad. Oh, wow. I can't go through that. Oh, yeah. so, sorry. Uh, these people are considered really honorable. Chris Milligan is considered honorable. Like, Yeah. Hmm. I, there's a lot of problems. There's a lot of problems. I've heard some Peter Lavenda. People need to really watch out. I mean, maybe people from a different faith tradition, different outlook. But if you're a Christian, that guy should be on your radar. Like, I mean, I don't know if like people have like this reincarnation or any old views or whatever. Or all wisdom is the same. Uh, I know that you kind of have a Gnostic worldview that but my worldview and peter lefette's worldview probably are in the opposite uh opposite sides of the spectrum so anyway they do acknowledge this is good so they do acknowledge it here but wait till you go through and put my book next to theirs i'll do it for i'll do it i'm gonna put it out i'll put it out and people can just see for themselves Uh, yeah i mean it's it's unfortunate to hear that you know somebody be willing to just you know think this is enough if they had stolen say 80 percent of their material from you i'm just making a hazard guess not having read both uh, i've only read his book but i did notice the similarities uh, essentially with the numerology 11 175 93 uh and uh what's the one i'm missing there 175 uh, yeah the 175 is, is libra 175 crowley's which god do you adore ritual I can't remember the, the Latin name he used at the time. Oh, it's, it's, but yeah, he calls it the Crowley Code, and you know, I just I didn't lay it out like that. They, yeah, they're stylistically much different than my my approach because I really wanted to tell the truth about Crowley. So my book is a lot of biography of Crowley, which they leave out in this, and that's a kind of the omission. And I think Lavenda's approach. Yeah, yeah you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of. <laughs> I'll get it all out. It'll be very clear. I just have to sit down and do it. It's like I very, I have very much. Sim- I've told this to other people. I sympathize with comedians, and artists, and musicians, and filmmakers, and things who have their material or their thesis lifted and and tampered with. So I, I and I know that what it's like when you complain about it, you get claimed as to be a whiner, 
a bitter person, um, uh, unhinged. So like I tried to avoid that, but because once I start going, people don't get it. They don't understand. I mean, the the it's really a disgrace. I'm embarrassed. I'm actually embarrassed for all three of those guys, Milligan, Lavanda, and these things happen. So anyway, time will out. I was a minnow back then, 2010. Mm-hmm. Things are way different now for me. I'm in a much different place. So back then, I really didn't have it. You can go back and look to me, my interviews on Christian Radio in 2010. They're all verified in the timestamp. They're all there. 2010, I was all over the underground Christian Radio. I was just beginning. You can talk to Mike Bennett, Gon Shimura, some of these old guys from back in the day. It's still around, doing great work, uh, but I was on their shows. Um, there's a couple other guys, Bennett, Barnett, Kevin Barnett. Uh, some of them have been lost. But the guys are still around. They can all verify that I did interviews and talked about the subject the same way. There was a good one with, uh, what's his name, out of New Zealand. It's, um, I can't remember his name, right? What's that? Yeah, Vinny Eastwood. I did Vinny Eastwood, and then Bain did Vinny Eastwood. And and Vinny Eastwood's like, didn't somebody already write this book? He said that directly to Bain and kept going. He probably didn't know the contents, but I think he realized within – the interview, like something's not right. This guy's repeating somebody else's stuff. But all that stuff is time stamped. Wow. It's all it's all was done before Bane. So you know, it's just bigger group. It's like it's like a bigger fish yeah. comes in on a smaller fish oh, yeah. and has a lot more contacts and uh stuff like that. And I think there might be a lot more to the story. <laughs> who really owns the book, who benefited, who's the real financial beneficiary, who who promoted it. Sometimes publishers promote books. So the publisher has the thesis and they hire out people to write the book for them. That's what Lavenda did. Lavenda is a writer. He not just for his own books, but I think that was his corporate job was to put together materials as a writer. So that may have happened in this book. I don't know, but a lot of times, sometimes if a, if a publisher sees a good idea or idea that they want, they will, they will put, put the pieces together just like a producer, right? Producer gets the director, the actors, all that stuff. I so. think something similar happened with Tracy Twyman. She was writing a book, uh, Da Vinci Decoded, and she had done the original research and laid out the outline, and uh, eventually they just took it from her, is what, if, I, if I'm uh, recalling correctly. I mean, it's something... Who that, took it? Uh, I'm not sure who the original publisher... The Feral House? I think she published her stuff through Feral House, right? It may have been Disinfo. Well, even worse. I wouldn't be surprised if Disinfo did that. You know what's oh, that's so. This is like the same interview I had earlier today because we were talking about Rogan's producer is an old Disinfo guy, and yeah. the guy who started Disinfo was Richard Metzger. Loved Crowley and all the people. He had a lot of people on there who were from that world perspective. Robert Anton Wilson, Genesis P. Orridge, people I had studied in Children of the Beast. So that stuff, that that current is still, it's still present. That's the whole thing that people get beguiled by. They look at it as like something in the past. Thelema, the Ptolemic ideas are much more present than people even realize. It's just they haven't they haven't keyed into it enough as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Well, full disclosure, uh, I was never paid by this info, but I was I was asked to post there. And I would post about 9-11 Truth, and I was kind of a noob there, and I was uh, a little bit naive. But I would get heckled endlessly because I was someone who was advocating that we pay attention to 9-11, that we, that we look uh, into a lot of shadowy corridors and exposing a lot of fake gurus and sham. And so they had a mixed bag. They had, uh, when 9-11 happened, I was naive to so much of this, of this, of these machinations of the state and their books were one of the only places where I could see that were true about something like say Columbine, but I can see now where limited hangouts being what they are, you know, and controlled oppositional networks often inviting in the people they want to corral. I, I've had corrupt, I've had good infiltrate. Totally. Uh, Matt Staggs is the guy who runs, uh, who's the booking agent for Joe Rogan. And uh, I remember Matt before he got that job and he would send Joe these um, like uh, long emails of a bunch of like the headlines of the day. And I think over the years, he just kind of uh, won his favor by being, you know, persistent. Also, Joe's got some weird connections to Satanism. You know, he, he performed or not he, but Duncan Trussell, his, uh, his sidekick, I guess you could say during the Joe Rogan experience questions everything on sci-fi network uh which was totally an op to discredit conspiracies which are massively exploding all over the internet and so he and duncan uh they went after michael what was his name 
Oh, he did the uh, first movies about chemtrails that really gained a lot of notoriety. Oh, yeah. I forgot. Clifford Carnicum? Was that it? Oh, I don't remember. Let me see if I can look it up here. Michael, Michael, it's, uh, it's, I'm drawing a blank. So that show, I wasn't aware of that. So that show was to discredit those kind of ideas that were around on the internet. Michael J. Murphy. He was actually interviewed by Rogan on that, and Rogan made him look foolish. Like, they, they took him, they edited him, and uh, I met Mike in person. Uh, Geo Griffin did the world premiere of What in the World Did They Spray, which featured Mike in Georgia. And I was there. Uh, as part of We Are Change Atlanta. And so I was really disheartened to see Rogan do that because it, it just he just was merciless. And I think uh, it had a, de- a great impact on Michael. He ended up succumbing uh, to some type of methamphetamine addiction. So I don't, know oh, wow. was, yeah, I don't know if it was preceded by that embarrassment or not, but certainly couldn't have helped. And I really lost a lot of respect for Joe at that point because it's like, to me, it's, just, it's obvious when the UN has a moratorium on geoengineering, that chemtrails are real and but oh, he's, yeah. he's waffled on so many things i don't think he's a trustworthy person at all and i think a lot of his reach is not organic i think he's basically been pushed uh, for a mm. long time interesting i've seen such a differentiation in his guests and how sometimes he's gone after them and really taken them apart and some he doesn't even ask any questions uh so he like i saw two back to back i think it was with gupta and then the girl who got who was in Italy who killed the roommate who died. It's uh, yeah, I know her face, but he was so soft on. He let her just propagandize the whole time. In my opinion, it was really incredible, and uh, I did a critique on that. But Amanda Knox, it was for Amanda Knox, and I was just like, "What's going on?" So it's it's hit or miss for him. I yeah, there's a lot of problems there. Oh, you yeah. can talk about disinfo. He was with like the son of one of these Satanists doing hand signs. He used to wear that shirt, Gonzo shirt. I saw it on your website. Actually. Yeah. So yeah. that's actually kind of sketchy. Like you're wearing something from Hunter S. Thompson. I mean, do you know who Hunter S. Thompson is? And those no. the stuff swirling around him? Oh, man. Oh, yeah. The snuff films. and, and Snuff films. Just all kinds of stuff. He's been busted. Yeah. Just off the charts. Strange stuff. So. He always he always struck me as a psychopath. Even when I was, I think I was about thirteen when I was introduced to some of his work, and I was just, I didn't get it. You know, it was after his time in the limelight, but everything I was reading it just seemed like this guy was completely myopically self absorbed, and uh, was you know into you know just describing how raunchy his life was, like for shock value alone. And right. um, yeah, but you know, weirdly enough, uh, one of my previous guests, Robert Forte, actually. He gave MDMA for the first time to uh, Hunter S. Thompson, and so he kind of he kind of knew Hunter only briefly, but I think they became friends. But he was, I was telling him about the snuff film connection, and he was like, "Yeah, I've heard some things about that." I think there was a woman who was hired to be the editor on his book, and uh, he wanted her to watch one with him, and I think that's when she quit. And uh, yeah, I heard that's like, that's pretty damning. You know, who could keep that in their house in the first place? You know, why would you want, let alone to like... They're out there. Those those kind of movies are out there. They've been made. People say they don't exist. Uh, Richard Ng and Leonard Lake were making snuff films. Uh, there's a snuff film that, what is it, three... Ice, one crazed guy, Ice Pick, he made a snuff film. I forgot his name. He was in Canada. He was a, then on the run. He, he filmed that. So these things, they have... I mean, I don't know whether they specifically happened with Thompson, but... Rogan is an interesting guy, and just his friendship with Trussell. That's a long-term friendship. Trussell had Damien Eccles, who I wrote a book about, The West Memphis Three. Very sympathetic, and Rogan handled it very sympathetically. He was like, oh, well, if he was unjustly put in jail, then he should be recompensed or remunerated or something like that. Who's this, Damien Eccles? Yeah, he, Rogan was talking about Eccles because Trussell mentioned it. It was sent to me. Trussell mentioned his name on that podcast. Just the way they handled it, it was like a set piece. To me, it felt like a stage, like, let's agree to do this. Not ask any really salient questions about Eccles and the cult. Yeah, there's another, I mean, you can write an encyclopedia about Eccles' interest in the cult. It's just off the chart. That's an issue, so, yeah. There's some uncomfortable associations, uh, associations there. He's friendly with CIA agents. He has this kind of thing where he's edgy, but there's certain stories he doesn't go into on that show. 
Oh, totally. He's a total gatekeeper. Uh, he, he's waffled on the moon landing. You know, to me, it's obvious that we didn't go. And, you know, why yeah, would all right. the data be destroyed? And then Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, he's he's a physicist. He's not a climate scientist. But like so many of these these shills, you know, they, they feel they have the ability to communicate what we laity need to understand about all science at all times and, and upbraid us and correct us. And uh, Rogan falls for that. He plays the role and he let Neil deGrasse Tyson shame him into believing the official story of the moon landing publicly. So it's kind of like you see this ritual taking place where, okay, I'm going to walk it back. I'm not, I'm not so edgy anymore. Uh, He did it with climate change. He's done it with the moon landing. He's what else has he waffled on? Um, Carbon taxes associated with climate change. He went after Candace Owens for merely holding a different opinion. And, uh, you know, the gentleman I used to work with, Randall Carlson, actually, I got him on Joe's show and it took a long time. I, I introduced him way back in 2008. Now, I didn't know Joe personally. I just realized that here's somebody that has a lot of potential to reach, uh, independently reach a lot of people outside of what was the mainstream matrix at the time. And so um, never, never thought he would blow up to be the biggest podcaster of all time. You know, right. had some some ideas that he'd be very popular, but, you know, I'm I'm kind of surprised how big he's gotten uh but yeah he needs to be questioned and you know to me it seems like he's he's compromised because he, he's he's covering up these issues he won't deal with building 7 9 11 he, he gets like this deer in the headlights look anytime that his friends bring it up he's just like changes the subject changes up you know i, don't I mean if he's that. if he's trying to maintain the most popularity he's doing a great job so maybe that's really what he's trying to do is not we have very alienating positions that would alienate people. So that's right. Well, I mean, I mean you got to take everybody with a grain of salt, but he's, he's super influential. I think he was right about the vaccines. He had those two guys, McCullough and Malone on, which nobody else would touch. And everybody, those shows were super listened to 25, 50 million listens or something crazy like that. Cause people were starved for that information that they were getting censored from on the corporate media and the tech high. Big tech. Sometimes these characters they're not they're multifaceted. Totally. To his I credit, think he's I'm, glad, I'm glad he did cover them and allow a dissenting opinion in that regard. And he was pretty steadfast about saying, you know, you shouldn't be forced to take a vaccine. Uh, but you know, he would also he's gone on the record saying that we should just trust the experts about vaccines also. So it's kind of like he, he flows with whatever is popular and he's only edgy if it's something that's not gonna get him canceled or I mean, he's let a hundred plus episodes be completely censored by Spotify for this hundred fifty wow. million. So, that's amazing that he would allow that. If you look at his corporate sponsorship, I mean, he's very much a corporate figure. He comes across as not a corporate figure, but the people advertising on his show are just like uh, the standard Fortune five hundred company type people. Yeah, it's a little weird because you know when when they were when Alex Jones was beefing with Joe, he kind of called him out for like the CIA being involved in these kind of ayahuasca cults related to Onnit and to some of these affiliate businesses that Joe has, and they're pushing pushing, of course, like polyamory, and they're pushing, uh, you know, uh, the new age completely psychedelics. I don't I don't have an issue with people wanting to use psychedelics. I think they can have medicinal benefit. It is dangerous territory though, and uh, I think that you know we. I'd like to hear a dissenting opinion of someone like Robert Forte, who I had on previously, who was right there in the thick of it with the, the biggest names in psychedelics. And he came to realize the truth of MK Ultra, And he's very courageous in speaking out about it. But, you know, why can't Joe pick him out of all these people to discuss psychedelics? Why does it always have to be Michael Pollan or, you know, Paul Stamets, who, you know, is mostly benign. Uh, but, or say, uh, who's the guy from MAPS? Uh, Rick Doblin, who's probably Mossad, is what I've heard. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, did, did Forte make a tie between the popularity of psychedelics and MKUltra? Uh, yes, I, I think he's he realizes that the whole thing was an op now. Um, but I think he's so experienced. He has seen he, he, there's good and bad in the mix. You know, even Tim Leary, who, you know, I know Leary has publicly stated that he was a, kind of like a, a defender of Crowley as well. But he's carrying on their work. Carrying on the work. That bothered me. And it could be that he didn't realize that Crowley was, in fact, uh, you know, into sacrificing people. It could be that he just was kind of caught up in the moment of the the marketing, which is easy to do pre-internet, I could see. There's definitely an expurgated version of Crowley that all the occultists promote. 
liberator, looking for human happiness, get rid of those old traditions, deify yourself, drugs and sex. That's the side that they, I think the 60s saw clearly, not the human sacrifice, child rape side. I think that those, those are what, that's what people wanted. They didn't see how awful Crowley was to other people too. He treated other human beings with contempt and passed in his kids. No relationship with his kids. I think he had five kids. There's never any story of Crowley like, oh, I had a wonderful time with my children today. We went and went to the park and had a barbecue. Really super self-absorbed and selfish. You know, so. The people don't see that side of him. How awful he was. And a snob, a rich snob, contempt for other people. They don't talk about his views of uh, slaves shall serve. <laughs> human beings are cattle, you know, that type of thing. You should shear them and eat their meat at your will. So I would say that wasn't long, long with the like love and peace tradition of the 60s. So they just saw that one side of him as kind of at least uh, Leary. Leary knew a lot more about Crowley than people, a lot of people know. And I think I included that in my book, Children of the Beast, because he was in the same oasis in Algeria as Crowley at one point, And he was aware of that. So he saw his life in Crowley's as kind of like almost synchronistic the attached. He carried Crowley's I Ching sticks. So he had specific things about Crowley. He'd used Crowley's tarot deck. A lot of people don't see that aspect of Leary either. They just see him kind of like as a self-help hippie type person, but he was definitely into drugs and pretty self, self-absorbed himself. And, you know, I think he admitted he was a CIA asset at one point and that he had, he knew Huxley I'm actually going to have a talk about with a guy who's a Huxley specialist on Friday about uh, Brave New World, if anybody's interested in that. O'Leary knew Huxley and kind of knew the issue of LSD. Like, there could be dangers with popularizing it, but he was for the popularizing of what can be a dangerous drug. Some people take those heavy drugs, ayahuasca, LSD, and they have psychotic breaks, and then some people feel like their whole worldview's changed, so... It's a roll of the dice. I don't know how what the likelihood of is, but of it is. But there's there were acid casualties in Northern California where I grew up, guys who took the wrong drugs and didn't make it. So it's it's a lot more dangerous than people think. Of. You take a long long term dosage. I agree, and and that's one of the things that Robert was bringing up recently regarding Michael Pollan being kind of this uh, favorite guru status that he's been he's had uh, foisted upon him by the New York Times and Oprah and all of the you know Rogan all of these uh, modern uh, mockingbirds if you will they're they're singing his praises and he's got this documentary on Netflix and so it's causing so many clinics well these drugs aren't legal yet so, but people are calling requesting them now because they want to be cured but a lot of them they're all they're already uh, drug addled by modern pharmacopoeia modern pharmacia yeah, so pharmacia maybe <laughs> <laughs> they didn't they just do a study where they found out that the antidepressant drugs prozac are like nominally effective like they just that was just a giant scam so many of those pills are scams that's just one of the many ones you'd be much better off going out for a hike and going on a trip or something to to kind of break break any melancholy or anything like that than taking any pills i wouldn't take i wouldn't take any antidepressant pills they're just a total, total farce. They put you in a fugue state, actually. There's actually an association between antidepressants and just kind of being in a, a weird mental state. Wow. A lot of those shooters were on antidepressants. Oh, yeah. And it's if you're not filtering your water, you're getting uh, like an amalgam of your environment, the people in your environment, you know, ingesting that stuff. It's ending up in your in your drinking water. And, of course, the, the foundation of Prozac is fluoride. Right. So, yeah. <laughs> crazy like people knew what these drugs were they would just they would run and i can't believe how people people have been kind of hypno programmed through these television shows that the pills are the answer that's what's really supporting all even fox so these dummies on the right i'm sorry there's dummies on the left too but that's why i don't even talk about political distinctions but they're getting hammered by i've been to places where they watch fox news they're getting absolutely hammered by pharmacy by pharmaceutical almost all the advertising is pharmaceuticals Yes. And uh, brought to you by Pfizer. I mean, it's really off the charts. Like, I don't know how people subject themselves to that. I don't either. I mean, it, it must be the, that hypnotic programming. It must be television and the repetition. And of course, it's it's a lot like Brave New World, speaking of which, the Soma. You know, it's like you can you can go about the drudgery of, of acquiescing to like the slave society as long as you have your Soma holiday, as long as you have your weekend warrior, you know, uh, rampage that you can do. That's enough to keep people from revolting. And the drugs, they're a big part of just, just quelling that descent and, and keeping us uh, in a sleepwalking state. And then they, they make us suggestible. 
you know, just like television, it puts us in that alpha state and, and you get, you know, the, 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 uh, the vision of someone like Oprah, who's got this motherly kind of like uh, facade, you know, telling you, interviewing. Or the late night comedians and stuff. I just talked about that. These late night comedians are some of the best mind controllers and propagandists in history. Cause you think you're watching comedy. They're just pounding these comedy bits, these themes of really social programming at you, like mocking people and doing things. It's incredible. When you really critically analyze the late night comedy shows, they're, I'm terrified of them. Like, I don't look at them as comedy. I'm like, this is really profound. These guys have incredible power, man. This is really something else. It is. And they have a team of writers behind them that, you know, they're just constantly carrying water for their, their paymasters. Would you mind uh, ending the screen share? I just wanted to have oh, time to see. No, no problem. Uh, I, I forgot I had that. I apologize. It's not a big deal. I think it records at full size anyway, but if not, I'll work it out. Okay, good. I can I could see your face now. Before it was like you know like that big, and I was like, sorry, <laughs> no, no, no big deal at all. So uh, let's see. So uh, I've written several books. Are you are you working on anything at this moment? What what is your most recent book? The most recent one was called Global Death Cult, and it was kind of about the occultism and far right uh, groups. Global really went global. It came out of the UK. These kind of really did not. We can go back and talk about the Nazis and how occult they were, were and Hitler were which I think is really true. This new kind of post-World War II far-right tradition included a lot of new ideas. And the O Order of Nine Angles was really fusing this far-right racism with occultism to try to kind of go towards a new kind of, they called it a dark imperium, like some kind of new version instead of the Third Reich, this kind of thing where they had a 300-year plan where they were going to seed the, the solar system like pretty crazy but they had a far-reaching plan and they had they had objectives and things like that but uh, those ideas all are now dispersed they have little uh, cells like a kind of like a terror cell they call them nexiums and they're all around and the reason I wrote the book is that there were events that were not connected to each other murders shootings swattings like a massive swatting operation they were happening globally russia they, they were happening in russia the uk there was actually a killing in downtown london and these were guys who were getting ideas from all over the place through the internet so i think the internet and treatment travels really change the dynamic globally for everything even politics but culture too because there's these little small subsets and that's what i tried to to map out in global death cult is that these ideas and really what the ideas are about killing people like you're supposed to cold the population which is why i call it cold global death cult but some of these elites believe in cold population too which is kind of a strange over overlay but doesn't involve it's not involved in the subject matter of this book came out of the research of into the smiley face killers which is this phenomenon of young men going out at night they're 18 to college age disappearing to later be found in water so I did two documentaries on that. And it was like, what's the motivation? Why are people doing this? I saw kind of a homosexual gay angle, but there were a lot of the victims were gay. I think an over proportion were gay, uh, the ones that I studied. But then somebody came out to me, Igor Sarsky, and he said, hey, have you ever heard of this group? They believe in going out at night and doing nefarious stuff. I said, no, I don't know who they are, but I'd studied Crowley. I know a lot about it, the occult you And so then it was like, well, oh, so you're supposed to go out and select an offer and kill them to get past to go up this lava septenary way in this group. I was like, oh, wow, that sounds interesting. So that's really what led the book. There were interesting overlaps. The founder guy supposedly is David Myatt, who's in the far right, who knew kind of the far right characters in the UK, but also was in communication with the Temple of Set and literally had correspondence between himself and Michael Aquino, where they're talking about their version of Satanism. And that's in, I think, the second or third chapter of my book. They're called The Letters of Stephen Brown. So this guy's writing under different pseudonyms, same writing style, which is kind of telling. Writing styles are kind of a signature. You really can, a specialist really can get your handle of grammar, language, and, and really kind of is an imprint. And I found that is, not a, I'm not a specialist, I wasn't trained in that, but very similar writing under different names. But it's interesting to see them writing because Myatt's like saying, oh, we're more real Satanists than you, you're fake, we don't even believe in the... Christian paradigm of Satan and God. We're believing these dark gods. And so they have this whole different kind of worldview. But that was my most recent book. And I, I think that and some of these guys that I was writing about haven't even been properly tried. There's a guy here, Woodard, in Orange County. And I think the another guy who killed somebody, Von Nudigem, in Toronto, haven't been tried. I think this guy, one of the guys who was trying to set up his army team, his name is Meltzer. Just got, and he was in the same jail as uh, Elaine Maxwell. 
So he had been arrested and, and with federal charges. His name was Meltzer. But you can look up all these guys in my book. But the, these are all very current events. And I think that I think that it's kind of like we're in for kind of a new phase of a political system, but also a new cultural system where people are going to be able to communicate in small cells and small groups. And I think that's just what happened. So I tried to delineate and detail that in this book, Global Death Cult. Interesting. And it seems uh, there's these parallels to the founding of the Theosophical Movement. Who you know, I, I'm, I had an interview with a guy named Joe Atwill, uh, you may be familiar with. And, and Joe has done a lot of research alongside of uh, these LaRouche scholars named Anthony Chaikin. He's mostly reporting Mr. Chaikin's work. Uh, and it's fascinating because it shows you how the New Age and, and Nazism were wed from the outset. And I wanted to ask you uh, along those lines. So Crowley, was he the, do you believe he was Jack the Ripper? No, but he does have a tie into the Ripper. There is a story, not even a lot of Crowley scholars know. There was a woman who went to his Abbey of Thelema and she was called Tiger Woman. I can't remember. She wrote a book called Tiger Woman. And she is really fascinating. She's a really feisty uh, woman who conflicted with Crowley and they had a real battle. She was, he was threatening to sacrifice her and kill her. And she was like trying to undercut him. She was the girlfriend of a guy who died at the Abbey. His name was Raoul Loveday. But during in that book, Tiger Woman, if you read it in her section, she talks about being at the Abbey and, Al, and Alistair Crowley coming to her and saying, these are the ties that uh, Jack the Ripper used to commit the killings in England. So he thought he had artifacts. He told her he had artifacts of that crime. And it's, it's kind of an interesting, I can send you that, uh, I've sent it to other people who are interested about the river. I do think that the, the thesis that it was Masonic and something was going on, like the From Hell thesis, Alan Moore view is, is probably more correct, is that there was somebody involved in the royal family that got somebody pregnant and they just killed a bunch of people to cover up the actual one person that they wanted to. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. There's, I, I visited... Um... It was near Manchester, Leeds, for the first time. I went to England, and uh, we passed through Yorkshire uh, on the way there. And it just, I could feel this this kind of strange energy about the place. And then later I realized, like, oh, yeah, there's a lot of mystery killings and a lot of uh, Satanists out here. <laughs> so I mean, the, what do they call the Moors murderers and stuff happened there? That guy was a Satanist. Yeah. Got his name. It was... Um, Whitechapel murders. And... Well, there's a lot. And there were... Uh, Yorkshire Ripper was up there. Jimmy Savile was sometimes up there. Savile was just moving around the country committing all kinds of crazy crimes. Oh, what a freak that guy was. And yeah. to be you know, paraded in a kid's show just shows you how much they, they love mocking their victims. So yeah. sick. I think that they get some kind of charge on the insider charge that they know. It's, a, it's something pretty, it's a duper's delight type thing where they know they're playing everybody and the insiders know. So I think if you're in a secret society, that's like one of the internal pleasures, like perverse pleasures is like you're on the inside. We Joe knows, I know, but none of these other 50 people know, you know, that kind of like they don't know what we do on old hours or what kind of rituals or OTO rituals. And I think that that's actually part of the power of cults of all different stripes is that there's an inside information and that they all have that same view. Like the slave shall serve. This is the herd. We have the inside knowledge. We can rule. We can dominate these people. We can use these people. I think that's what Savile was doing. Like he would have he would have different uh, women every night. Like he was just super predator, like R. Kelly or something like that. Like uh, yeah, crazy stuff. Even even worse than R. Kelly. <laughs> even worse. He was buried at a forty five degree angle. So he was buried at the witch's burial. And you can even look this up. Like he wanted put in his coffin like this, so he could face. I think it was that he wanted to face the rising sun. It's something to do about that, so about the occult. So he was an occultist through and through. He talked about the will. He had all. He was always spitting stuff to people who didn't know what he was talking about. Like there's, it's amazing. He didn't even have to check himself when he walked into Buckingham Palace. He would just walk right in. Nobody would check his bag. He would just say, "I'm here. I'm gonna go see, the, you know, the stuff." These, those two brothers, with the Duke of Windsor and the Duke of York. Prince Charles and Prince Andrew, they were much more tied to, to Epstein, is my understanding, than the public knows. Yeah, I think they were thought they were untouchable all the way through because they had probably blackmailed everybody. I think they blackmailed the entire American cultural, political, and business elite. That's really what they were after. Anybody with any kind of elite status, blackmail, blackmail. So many people, I heard a story, I don't know if this is true, but there were parties. I think Epstein died on like a Saturday or Sunday morning, that there were parties in the Hollywood Hills celebrating his death preceding his death so they knew that the time was coming 
And so they were part, they were happy because they were off the hook. So all that blackmail material was no longer in their hands. Or so, they, or so they think, right? Because it could be that the NSA, it looks like uh, Admiral Rogers and uh, Michael Flynn and others are involved in a, a counter coup of the Q operation. And uh, uh, I'm curious if you've looked into that at all and if you have any, any opinion on the on the matter. I don't I mean, I don't think Q has, has any meaningful statements. I think the meaning is how they're able to corral all those people into believing that. So I think it's a it's a successful psychological operation. But I don't think that they really have any. I think their first drop was Hillary Clinton will be in jail. But I, I think that they've really captured the, the imagination of people. Like I don't think that JFK Jr. is alive. But when they said JFK Jr. was going to show up, I mean, this is like a conspiriana, conspiratorial Anna kind of environment. Well, they said JFK Jr. was going to show up at Dealey Plaza at a certain time and like 10,000, no, 1,000 people showed up. Do you hear that? Like there's so many people who believe that he's actually going to come out of the woodwork. Well, there's a lot of things where, uh, you know, the way that they're able to authenticate whether or not it's Q is because you only post on, say, 4chan and then you move to 8chan. 8chan became 8kun. And it was revealed that 8kun was actually the server was a DOD server. So it's like, so the whole thing is a psyop. And there's there are these continuing revelations, like the most recent uh, campaign video released by Donald Trump. The name of the song in the background is where we go when we go all. And Michael Flynn himself, with his brother and his family, on the 4th of July, they affirmed their oaths to the Constitution, and they signed off of where we go and we go all. And so I, it is a successful psyop. I understand um, a lot, of it. personally, because I've, I've been kind of like glued to it for so long. I've, I've seen a lot of the misgivings, and I understand where they come from. Like, absolutely, if, if, if Q had said JFK Jr. was going to come back, I don't think he actually ever said that. And I think in, in the... if you, Go to qpost.online. You can search like JFK Jr. And I think they addressed it. And I'm like, no, he's dead. So it was one of these things that was, you know, attributed to Q, but was not actually generated from Q. So do you think that Q is legit? Like they're actually sending legitimate information to the public? Or are they just dragging them along to kind of psychologically group them and manipulate them to be against the present system? Like I think that that... Like if you call everybody a pedophile drinking adrenochrome and Hillary Clinton is a criminal, she is, she should have been indicted, obviously. But I think that that's, that's like, okay, we're all thinking in the same herd. We're all thinking with the same mind. If you're all, how many people are following Q? Millions, right? Mm -hmm. So if you're all thinking in the same mind, then you've successfully put together a whole bunch of people who are taking this information they think is coming from some high, you know, top secret guy, right? Well, you know, there have been a lot of uh, disclosures and foreshadowing that have supported that is legitimate. So, for instance, you know, before Trump ever set foot in Korea, they were foreshadowing that this there's going to be this huge meeting in the summit in Asia. And uh, there's so many dozens, if not hundreds of Q proof. So it is it is elaborate. So, for instance, you brought up the uh, the first Q uh, post. It says, you know, Hillary Clinton's going to be arrested on 11-3. Well, in the law of war manual which is the, the, the legal procedure for continuity of government actions in the event that the White House is seized by a foreign uh, government. 11.3 actually relates to that coding. So it's, it's almost a lot like a, in Kabbalism, you know, you have these correspondences and then you have reversals. And so the, the cant or the green language with 11.3, if you reverse it 3.11, that's the first date that COVID was declared a pandemic. So you have two correspondences that are, that gives it still allows plausible deniability for Trump because if he ever admits that until you know the deep state actors are arrested, we'll see what happens on October 11th with this uh, trial with Danchenko, who's part of the Crossfire Hurricane operation, and John Durham, you know the most successful uh, attorney general in United States history, helped uh, take out Whitey Boulder and all the the Boston uh, mob. He's on the case, and so it could be what happened at Mar-a-Lago is just to set precedents for then raiding Hillary and others. And these are the types of uh, things that they would reveal to their audience by and by, where you're kind of misdirected in one direction. They might repeat, say, watch the water, watch the water, or, uh, you know, future proves fast. And then Trump might tweet that same day something related, just written in different terminology. So instead of future proves past, we have to look to the past to see what's happening in the present. But if you look over all the Q drops, there was a recent one too, right? Like some people were talking about these Q drops. What good has come out of that? 
have they educated people? Have they edified them? Have they told them to do something? Or has any constructive, beneficial action in the real world taken place? That's a great question. And see, I appreciate you because I don't have all the answers. And I, and I just appreciate the dialogue because we all get a chance to see where the weakness in our argument might be. Uh, I have seen, okay, so say for instance, at the height of the BLM riots, the left were essentially performing an insurrection. And they're just destroying our, our infrastructure. You know, they're bombing cities. We know that the, the neo-Marxist Democrats, that's what they want. They want more people uh, downtrodden and dispossessed so they can more easily corral them and say, well, we'll save you with bailouts. So Q kept more, I could say that it kept more patriots from going out and engaging with them in what could be easily twisted like January 6th, where, look, the establishment was so corrupt. If you ended up in that fracas, chances are you're going to jail for years even if yeah, told they're, they're they're not getting their constitutional rights they're not getting a speedy trial some of those guys have committed suicide the jailers aren't where some of them aren't even american it's a, just turned out to be a total disaster they walked yeah. into it january 6th was a trap yeah it was and and, and to to it's it's there's a lot of things that i don't like i don't like that trump has come out and said you know i support the vaccine the vaccine's great but I have heard the argument. There's a guy named Mr. Truthbomb who puts out great uh, Q compilations and answers a lot of questions like these on BitChute. You know, he's usually uh, kicked off of YouTube anytime he posts new material. Uh, he was he was describing um, the reason for Operation Warp Speed was that if Trump hadn't rushed it ahead, they wouldn't have been able to force him to get experimental status for the vaccines. And in so doing, they could prevent the legal mandate, which is something that would have forced Americans to all Americans to maybe line up. And, you know, you could see where the police and the National Guard, et cetera, could be corralled by an occupying force to go ahead and, you know, inoculate, quote unquote, everyone with these experimental weapons. And so uh, it reminds me, there's a there's a book called the Hagakure or the Book of Shadows. It's about like it's a compilation of like samurai wisdom. And there's a story where there was a. You know, wildfires and fires in villages was a, a perennial existential threat for villages in Japan. And so there was a fire in the city and there was people running to get away from the inferno. And they didn't realize it, but the bridge was out connecting them to the next town. And so there's a stampede of people. And there's a story of one samurai. He, he observed, you know, the oncoming hordes in their panic state rushing to their death. So he took out his, his blade and he cut down a few people. And then that caused the crowd to stop in their tracks. And I hate to say it, but when it comes to warfare, it could be that we are going to have that un unavoidable casualties and collateral damage that could have prevented even larger mass genocide that would have left all of our population weakened. And those are difficult decisions to make. And, and um, I would say, you know, Trump has done a lot, given that he's a billionaire and he lost so much of his personal value and that they're always trying to kill him. That, to me, it seems there is something he's a legitimate threat to these people. No doubt. Yeah. It's a, it's like uh, the culture is entrenched. It's corrupt. They've probably been stealing votes for 20 years and Trump wants something different. So he's just a threat to all of them, both sides, really the Republicans and the Democrats. That's why so many Republicans didn't help him. And that's, yeah. When, when that, when they stole the election in the middle of the night, a lot of the right didn't help him out either. Yeah. Nobody came to his defense. No legal person came to his defense. I mean, it's really incredible. That silence by so many parts of the political establishment still leaves me stunned. Like, wow, nobody's going to do anything. They're all in on it. They all wanted to get rid of him. He was too independent. I mean, at least they didn't lure him down to Dallas and blow his head off. Right. But they, they <laughs> yeah. figuratively decapitate him. He was probably in shock too. So, I mean, I don't think Joe Biden even like, he didn't even like uh, campaign the last week of his presidential oh. campaign. Cause they knew they had it in the bag. They were going to cover it. They weren't going to lose. So they were going to get the fake ballots. They were going to get the voting machines. Oh, yeah. They had a belt and suspenders and everything to make sure that they weren't, they were going to pull through. And that's really what happened to January 6th. That's the part the left always meet, leaves out of January 6th is that they really were complaining about a legitimate loss, which is a legitimate crime. I mean, if you steal the election, that's really what all everybody was there about was stop the steal, right? We're in a, we're in like a post republic. Uh, country i hope people realize that like they're going to probably try to do it again they're going to probably try to do it again in november so they're probably plotting to find a way to steal and then these electronic voting machines are a disaster for the whole country that's why you have 
two incompetents who are running the country right now. Joe Biden's mentally not there. And when Kamala Harris talks, I think a third third grade teacher has more gravitas than she does. It's incredible. <laughs> I like this is like the future of like the, the United States where somebody gets a job. They don't have the talent for it. It's like, well, how did you get, how did, were you even like the uh, attorney general of California? Like, yeah. So she slept, she slept her way to the top and she's totally incompetent. And uh, what else is going on with Kamala? Well, she's, she's almost black, right? Like she's, she's white appearing black. And so it's, it reminds me of Colin Powell. It reminds me of Obama. You know, she can play both sides of the race card that is always in play. I wanted to ask you, uh, let's see. So we talked about Q a little bit. And, and you're a Christian. Are you a particular denomination of Christian? I was raised Catholic, but I would say, like, I read the Bible a lot. I've done a lot of studying. So I kind of, I go to Presbyterian church, but I would de- define myself as a Bible-believing Christian. So the Old Testament, New Testament. So I try, you know, I try, I definitely went through kind of like that pop, like late teens where I was like, okay, what's really out there? So I read everything. I read Buddhism, Hinduism, Judaism, coming from Christianity. So I had a broader thing. I looked at Orthodox, uh, looked at Muslim, you know, the whole thing. I I never got attuned at all to the Quran. It's very different to me. But I think just through, I think that I I have a spiritual worldview. I do not have a materialist worldview. Something else is going on. We're not, we were, man is not some random creation of, of cells. There's too much sophistication in just the human hand, which I keep popping up. Uh, there's too much sophistication in human mind. Human beings are incredibly complex. The capacity of the way people think, forward thinking, capacity of self-awareness of themselves, their personality, death, all that stuff. It's super complex. So, and if you can just, and Darwin had no clue about that. He had, you can go back and look at Darwin's graphs of like a single human cell. And it's like there's a nucleus and there's a cell and that's it. And the exact opposite is true. Every human cell is about as active as rush hour on Manhattan. Like there's just massive complexity in there. And the folding of the proteins is actually an argument against randomness because the way proteins fold together and unlock themselves and unsheath is so complex. It's hard for somebody. I want somebody like these Dawkins characters or Sam whatever his name yeah sam harris to tell me how ran- how that randomly happened from two cells in some primordial soup with a lightning bolt hitting i love the lightning bolt because the lightning bolt is like hey we're gonna get some satanism in this too so uh yeah so i'm not a i'm not a darwinist i'm not a marxist i don't think the system we're in is fair but that doesn't mean that my solution is some kind of marxist solution <laughs> but yeah, I would say I'm a Bible. I, I would recommend for people, not even, I mean, people have a, a, a negative view of Christianity because a lot of these guys are frauds. Like a lot of these pastors and people on TV are frauds. So I would recommend for people just to get a good copy of a good version of the Bible, good English translation and read it for themselves and to make, make a look at it independently of anybody else. That's what I did. So I didn't go through the Catholic view of what's this, but I read through and you go, Okay, where does it say Orthodox? Where does it say Catholic? Where does it say a Pope? What does it say about these priests? Oh, let's go back through Christ and Jerusalem. He's saying, woe to you, O priests and Pharisees. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And all, I mean, they, they could leave so much out of the, like the Bible in common talks because a lot of the teachers don't want to fall under condemnation is what I found out. It's a very, the Gospels are very well written. They're very sophisticated. There's a lot of stuff that's in there that a lot of people didn't even know about. For example, Revelation, like Luther thought that Revelation shouldn't be in the Bible. It didn't make sense to him. He thought it was just some kind of fantasy. Well, you look at Book of Revelation now, you're just watching it fulfill itself on the daily. They're going to put something in your hand, in your hair. Like 2,000 years ago, Christ's favorite, arguably favorite disciple, John, is on the Isle of Patmos writing all this down. And now it's coming into view. So two, thousands of years of Christians just included this book in the canon, and here it is. And then Crowley himself takes it and perverted the whole thing. He has his own stuff on that beast. He called himself a beast. My Christian view is not, I would I like to think it's not adulterated by current Christian sects or gr- groups like uh, certain, certain denominational views, I would say. 
So I think it's if you were a primitive Christian, I think I would accept that. And I think that Christ is Jew. It's not some Aryan or black. He was Jewish, if you believe the genealogy in Matthew. So I think that he was the offspring of the line of David. So I think that's all true. And I mean, he fed all the things for the Messiah, the prophecies for the Messiah in scripture that already existed. So riding into Jerusalem on an ass and all that stuff like that. And his actions, behavior, like they didn't expect to see that in that thing. That I think that's, they didn't, the people at that time didn't expect to see a personage like that. They expected a king who's going to conquer their enemies and set the, set himself up on the throne. So his throne, Christ's throne, was much more profound than a worldly king, in my opinion. That, that is the conquest of sin and death, like that is a true triumph that every human being has in their mind. Like how what, what's going to happen when we die? We're all nobody's ever made it out of here alive, even Christ. And then what's the right path? What's the right? What's God want? What is God? What is if we're created by some being? What's the right path for each of us? And I think that that was really the core of the ministry of Christ: is say, this is the way God wants you to be. The Beatitudes: be a servant, not a master. Love your brother. Who's your neighbor? Your neighbor is the Good Samaritan. It's not just somebody who lives next to you. It's the concept of the neighbor. It's everybody. So all those things are listed out, and I think that that's the differentiation of, of this person from, you know, this other kind of like hippie Christ or Christ consciousness or something else. So like there's an actual written guide for the way God wants you to live your life as soul by the Son of God, right? So I don't believe in like the well, – we can get into theology. No, this is great. I, I don't have the standard theological view of like the Trinity, like they're all one being. And they all separated. I think, actually think Christ is, says he's going to the right hand of the Father. So they're different personages. And I think that's true. He's always praying to the Father. He's not praying to himself. And there's a lot of complexity because it gets more deep because then he says, my, I and my Father are one in Jerusalem. I am, which is the way that in Hebrew, that would have shocked the, the Jews at that time because that Yahweh was says, I am what I am. I am the I am, right? can't remember. I'll have to go back and look at it. But when he said, I am what I am, the Sanhedrin probably freaked out. But I do think that they're different people. And the Holy Spirit is something, some other kind of presence. So I don't have that kind of like triune God view, which I think a lot of people can send me emails and scream at me. That's so, anyway, that's kind of the gist of it. So that's kind of like my worldview. After reading a lot, I'm not a perennialist. There is wisdom all over the world. There's Gnostic ideas. Even at the beginning of Christ's church, there's always differences between what's the true teaching and what's the not kind of Gnostic views. So there were there were definitely conflicts very from the start. Conflicts were at the inception, really. But those are they're still playing out today, two thousand years later. But uh, yeah, so that's really my kind of worldview, and it's developed over time. Yeah, I mean I'm 53, so I'm old older, so I, I'm try try to be a little more seasoned, maybe hopefully wiser. Right on, man. Well, I, I appreciate that you know you're you're a Christian who's embodying these principles, and you're going after the people that are violating goodness on this planet, and you're exposing them, and that protects people. And I think that's that's the an honorable way that I've seen Christians perform in life throughout time is that they're willing to put themselves in danger to help their fellow man. And you know, Christ, the, the image of him upturning the tables in the temple and, and calling out the the uh, usury central bankist of the day you know, for their crimes. And so we're still suffering under that yoke. Um, but I'm also, you know, uh, I don't pretend to have the final say and I will do my due diligence and read the Bible without any uh, filtering, you know, just see what I see. In yeah, yeah, see it. yeah it's, it's such an important process. But see I, it for yourself, your own mind's eye, like without any of that kind of calcification that's happened over time, a lot of false doctrines in Christianity. Go go read the Bible for yourself, and then you know you you kind of have to sit and say we don't know everything, but there's a lot. Somebody wrote that those gospels who knew somebody who was there at the time. Like I think that's pretty much proven, and it goes against Joe Atwell, Caesar's Messiah. Like this is, I I I'll I'll put something together for Bain. I'll put something together for Atwell too. You know, Mr. Atwell is, is a total gentleman, and and I think he he has the utmost respect for Christians. He really and he 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 honors their virtues, and he he says at the outset, like, look, I don't want to disparage any Christian whatsoever. Like, he doesn't proclaim to have the final knowledge. I think he just 
he has very interesting theories that are supported regarding the uh, the sequencing between, say, uh, the, the battle campaign of Titus and Jesus's ministry. And um, I don't think whatever machinations may exist in scriptures throughout time, all scriptures, because maybe by coming through man, they're inevitably uh, flawed. Uh, I still think there's a good God and that we do have a plan and that there's there's something, the, the Christ-like spirit to be good and pure and loving, I think that will be our saving grace no matter what. It's, and, and you know, uh, JFK, you know, he, <laughs> interestingly enough, you know, he may have come to God, come to Jesus under the influence of acid. So I think there's, you know, God can make people wake up in so many ways and play these incredible roles. Totally. You just don't know. Look at, I mean, the Paul is a perfect example. Here's the persecu- chief persecutor of the Christians flips. So I think like right now, there's probably the same thing happening. There's probably occultists out there who are going to flip and there's probably Christians who are going to freaking collapse. They're going to wilt under the pressures of the world. Those, you know, some people can't take the, that's why, that's why you can't really judge or persecute anybody because you don't really know how they're going to progress. I've seen Christians. There's a lot of known Christians who have renounced the faith and gone back to atheism or whatever. So it happens. It happens both ways. Totally. Wow. Okay, so really fascinating topics. And, and you know, if you'd be interested, maybe in the future we could have a round table and, and just a non-talk sure, conversation. Because uh, Joe, he's I had him on the show, and he was actually the theme was describing how uh, Zionism came came out of Theosophy and British Freemasonry. And that's oh, an oh, it's a great episode. It's it's fascinating to see you know these money elites conspiring using quasi-religion creating the syncretic org it's it's freemasonry you know so that's what they do but the jews have always like said next year in jerusalem they know jerusalem has been their holy city they were just diaspora so the zion we can get into that but herzl herzl was at the what was it the trial of um was it jacques it was uh, in france so he saw the kind of older entrenched powers against the jews which in most of the the conservatives u.s is strange it's not like other old country places where the conservatives are really anti-semites anti-jews there's a lot of conservatives and jews in in the right here but um i can't remember the guy's name it was uh dreyfus affair the dreyfus affair so herzl's at the dreyfus affair realized the persecutions there so it's a it was a long process and I'm, I'm sure that the Holocaust solidified those people. Like, we got to get out of here. We're not safe. They weren't safe. They were proven not to be safe. The Holocaust was a disaster because it, the Germans kind of facilitated it. They were the bad. But they went into some of these countries and the far right there were involved too. So Estonia, all the way to Croatia, to some of these other places, Hungary, like they, Ukraine. So it was it's very super ugly. I mean, the World War Two in uh, Eastern Europe was just like the, some of the most awful stuff happened in really human history. I, I don't know what could rival that. Really, I think the Mongols, like even they rolled through these countries, they were merciful. They like would just chop your head off and not torture you. <laughs> you, know, you know, like yeah. something happened in the East where like they put them in their horrible camps and stuff. It was terrible. Yeah. Terrible. It, anyway, it, it, so it, you can see, like, you can see the push for Zionism. For people who have that faith and want to go back to Jerusalem, I mean, it's, we can talk about. That. I mean, that's one of the signs of the end of the world is the Jews have returned to 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 the Holy Land. Yeah. So. You know, and I'm when it comes to eschatology, um, I think there's a way where people could be programmed to have these expectations also. So, say say someone were an elitist and they wanted to bring the fear of of God to a head, you know, they could mimic, you know, things written in these books and make them play out, even according to a particular date. And uh, there's a book called The uh, Temple at the Center of Time, and it describes how, um, uh, what was his name, uh, Isaac Newton was obsessed with the Temple of Solomon and the proportions therein, and he thought that it was essentially the the codex of the lost knowledge of Atlantis, and hmm. uh, and that it was also God's word, you know, that that God had, in fact, ordered this temple to be made and that it linked us through time to these specific dates where these massive events and shifts of consciousness and wars would take place. They were actually encoded numerically. Uh, But I'm of the opinion that 
that can be exploited too because if you can say for instance predict an eclipse you know you'd be able to subdue a population similar to uh, i think it was in the film apocalypto who was it uh, right apocalypto yeah remember that who's the conquistador i forget his name hernan cortez thank you and so cortez you know having that that technical advantage was able to you know tell these people look you're going to anger god so you better act right and um but I, that being said, I don't mean to. I I don't have anything against people who are just trying to honor God and be good and live Christ-like ways. I think that is the really what the source of of, of saving grace is: is that people identify with the beauty of Christ and they say, you know, let me be that hero, let me be that protector. And uh, I, you see the most beautiful displays. Like I remember in Houston, there was a flood a few years back, and just all manner of people came together and they're saving each other's families from these waters. And that that's America to me. It's the, once the mainstream media is torn down, I'd love to see much more positive, you know, life affirming media take its place. Cause no, no, no I understand. They never tell people. That, right? That's what's up. I did just, it's very similar to what I've written about in the past, but yeah, I think, uh, just, just stuff that will memorialize, some of the research that I've done in the past. So you'll just see like, okay, this is just another piece. Well, you know, is there anything else you wanted to discuss uh, before we wrap up today? No, no. I mean, it's great to talk with you. You're very knowledgeable. So I'm glad I'm delighted to speak with you and I appreciate the invite. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for agreeing to come on the show. I hope you'll join me again someday and yeah, sure. And uh, keep doing what you're doing. I really appreciate your work. I think everyone out there who, yes, yes. You know, the more you expose the evil, you put it in its proper context and it helps people uh, defend themselves and their loved ones. Yeah, no, I really, yeah. It's, I've, the, these lies lead to people getting their lives destroyed. So you got to really, these liars that are on the media and politicians. They have real world effects, so they have to be exposed. So I'm trying to do my part. That's, <laughs> That's a good quote. <laughs> yeah. All right, man, I got to run. Take care. Thank God you so bless. Take care. Thank God you. Bless.